<laughs> My own church don't do that, so can you just do that again? Oh, wow. It's amazing. I feel so encouraged. Uh, if, uh, if you are new, my name is Kylam. I'm a pastor of a church uh, in North Lakes called Life Centre Church, and we're good friends uh, with you guys out here at Creekside. And so I have the great privilege of, of just coming for the next few weeks uh, to be with you, and we're going to look at this idea of living a life that we enjoy. And I think when you, when you talk about joy, we often have a different ideas about joy, but um, Joy is absolutely crucial to the human experience. I don't know if you ever grew up with or had friends that were regularly sad and depressed. And you, I've got a current friend right now who's really struggling with depression. And it's, it's a hard, hard life. It's really tough. And there's a sense that we need joy in our lives. The Bible, as we're going to look at today, shows us that joy is actually something that is God's desire for us, that God actually wants you to enjoy your life. God wants you to experience joy. He has made you as a human being with feelings and with the, 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 the ability to be able to experience things such as joy. But as is often our experience, that joy we as humans feel is fleeting. It comes and goes. It comes in waves. Uh, oftentimes it feels like joy is just around the corner or just over the hill. Sometimes we feel it. It's there and then it's gone. And so the purpose of this series is to do three weeks and just looking at three aspects or even just three questions that we can ask that may help us to start reorienting our lives and reordering our lives in such a way that we can start to actually experience regular, ongoing joy. And so today we're going to look at the question of where am I? And we're going to walk through a little story in the beginning of the Bible um, in Genesis, the book of Genesis. Um, next week we're going to ask the question of who am I? Often our culture is telling us that joy will come from what we have and the experiences that we can have. But the Bible would also say, no, there is a sense of joy comes from knowing who you are and having a clear sense of your identity. And then on the, first, uh, the third week, we're going to look at this idea of what matters most and prioritizing and ordering our lives. You with me? Is that all right? Okay. So the Bible opens with God. It tells us in Genesis 1-1 that in the beginning, God created, right? So it's this, it's this picture, it's this story, this narrative that wants to set us up and teach us about who God is. And the first thing we see is that God is a God who is working. So he is creating. And so on day one, he creates something. Day two, he creates something. We're not going to get into whether this is a literal seven day or not literal. The idea is just that God is a creator. He is a working God. But also, I think something that we overlook in the Bible is that God is not just a working God. He's an enjoying God. So at the end of every day when he works and creates, he also says... It was good. And so he creates something, it was good. It's a sense of God works and then he enjoys, he celebrates. And that is important because one of the things that we see is that God creates us, human beings, men, women. And in the beginning when God creates us, he works and he also enjoys us. 
When Adam and Eve in this story are brought together, God doesn't just say it's good. He says it's very good. He declares it joyous and it's just like the celebration of this is good. And it sets up this picture of not just who God is but who we are because we are humans who are created by God and for God. Remember that. We are created by God and for God. Genesis continues and it tells us how God makes us. It says in 127 that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So it's this idea that God creates, he works, he enjoys his works, but he creates us as human beings in his image. In other words, we too are to work and we too are to enjoy. There is a sense that we are made like God in some sense, that we get to work and experience life and do things, but also to enjoy that life and to feel joy in what we do. However, again, it is our experience that this is fleeting. Often for us in this room, rather than feeling joyful about life, we are enduring life. Life frustrates us. We do things that don't always work out the way we want. Uh, sometimes we feel controlled by life. We've gotten into mortgages, we're going to school, we're studying, we've got family, we've got kids, and all of a sudden we feel just controlled by life and we're stuck in this thing and we just got to keep getting through. Sometimes we feel defined by life, so what we have, where we live, how we look, how we dress, determines how we feel about ourselves. And so I believe as we go through that God wants to show us a few things of how we can attain joy in this life and how we can keep it. In Genesis 1 and 2, we see that Adam and Eve are created, they're created in the image of God, but three things that we see, they are in a right relationship to God, they are in a right relationship with each other, and they are in a right relationship with the creation around them. So the, the, the Jewish people would say this is a picture of shalom. It's this joyous, peaceful, perfect harmony. Why don't we experience that? I know I didn't this morning when I was planning uh, to be here and I drove out of my driveway. My dog decided to run. Not filled with much joy, filled with much yelling. No, I don't have time for this. And I'm yelling out to my wife and I'm yelling out to my youngest son. And then all of a sudden, joy is gone. <laughs> Anguish, anxiety. How am I going? And am I, I going to drive and get him and bring him back? Do I run and get him? But then I'll be sweaty. And if I'm, you know, I already look bad enough as it is. If I come here sweaty, it won't be good. Um, we, we have this sense of the, this life is supposed to be a certain way. and We don't always feel it. And the story actually tells us where that starts. This is why I love the Bible. It's very practical. It tells us that something went wrong. And so we want to look at this story. If you do have your Bible and you want to open it, we're in Genesis chapter 3. See if this will come up for us. Is that coming up? Oh, there we go. Okay. All right. So we're going to go through degrees of separation. What starts to go wrong? So I want to read from chapter 3 verse 1. And then we're going to look at certain things that start to affect the human's experience. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say? 
You should not eat of the tree in the garden. See, when God created Adam and Eve, when he created these first humans, he kind of gives them instructions on how they are to live. He wants them to look after this garden. They're in this oasis where there are four rivers running through it. There are trees. It's just beautiful. And there's just one thing he says, just don't touch that, but everything else, go and steward. Go and, go and lead it and guide it and, you know, work it. And so this, the serpent says, well, did God really say that? And as the woman says, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And so here's the first degree of separation that we have. Remember, you and I are made by God for God. The serpent, who's a reflection of the enemy, wants to separate you from God, wants to take you away from God. And the first thing he does is he gets us to doubt God's goodness. Is God really good? Now, I have lots of friends who would say that they are atheists. And typically when I'm, you know, sort of going a little bit deeper with my friends, what I actually find out is not that they don't believe in God, they believe in something, they're just not sure whether that God is good. Therefore, they will stay away from Him because they don't know whether they can trust Him. Is God good? Can I trust God? Maybe this is the question that they're kind of faced with is maybe this creator God, maybe this working God doesn't know what He's doing. Maybe I can't trust him. And so the seed of doubt is put in there. Can I trust God? Can I trust God's heart? Does God care? I've asked this question many times when I'm going through difficult times. Is where is God? Does he love me? Does he care for me? Is this not a question that we often ask? Where is God? Can we trust him? So that is the first degree of separation. But then we go on to the second degree which is they not only doubt God's goodness, they start to doubt God's ability. Verse 4 says, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The story told us that the serpent is crafty, right? We go back, Genesis 1 and 2, what, in what way did the story tell us that they were made? How were they made? In God's likeness. The question then is set up is, well, you're not that. You're not that. God obviously didn't do that. He said he did that, but he obviously hasn't. And if you eat this, then you'll become like God. Do you see the, the, the craftiness there? It causes them to doubt, well, how am I made? Do you often look at somebody else and wish that God had made you like that person? I do. There's a particular celebrity male, I won't say his name, just because the comparison um, will be too, too clear. Um, that somehow, you know, I just sort of stumble along my wife watching certain shows of which that particular celebrity's in, and I'm like, dang, I wish I could look like him, be like him. Do you ever look at someone and go, why didn't God give me that skill? Why didn't God give me those looks? Why didn't God give me that sort of personality? This is what he's doing. There's this degree of separation because I don't know if God's good, but also has God made me the right way? And our culture is throwing stuff at us all the time. If God, you've got to look like this, have this, and it causes us to ask the question, well, do I have it? Am I the way God wants me to be? This is huge. 
not just for uh, younger kids either, not just for teenagers. This is huge for adults as we compare ourselves to other people and what they have and how they're living and what their marriage looks like and what their friendships look like and what their social life looks like. And we, we have, oh, so thank you, so thank you to uh, all the social media companies who give us the, the ability to just see it all day long. You can just filter and filter and filter and filter and filter. And everybody's putting their best show on for you to kind of go, well, I don't have that. If you look at my Instagram account, my kids are angels. <laughs> but when you come into my house, the Bible has another team that are kind of the opposite of angels. Okay, I won't use it because, you know, just don't want to say that about my kids, but often they are devils or demons. Okay, um, often it's like, what is this? And then I see everybody else's family. It's like, man, your kids, your kids are perfect. How do you get them to just float on clouds? I don't know how you do that. <laughs> But when we do this, we lose our joy. Because once again, we're separating ourselves from the God that made us and the God who we're made for. Big idea is that a trust, a lack of trust in God's goodness and a lack of trust in God's ability will lead to an increase of insecurity because it will separate us from God. A lack of of trusting God's goodness, a lack of trusting God's ability will lead us to look to other things. Think about kids. Uh, my family and I, we like to camp, and uh, you know, we take our kids to the beach, and it's, it's awesome, we love it. Um, I get sunburned every time I'm white as, but that's okay. Um, every time I take my kids to the beach for the first time, they have this weird experience of terror. They are freaked out about going to the beach. They've been used to a pool where they come to the water, right? They're like, yeah, I own this. And then, you know, my three-year-old who thinks she's like, you know, a surf lifesaver just will jump in and think she can swim. No fear. But as soon as we took her to the beach, she freaked out. What is this water that is coming to me? What is this whitewash? What is all this noise? The pool's not normally like that. But when I pick her up and I walk in the water with her, she starts to relax because she realizes something. It's not just me and the water, it's me and my dad. And my dad is big, my dad is strong, my dad is powerful, and I can trust my dad. And over time, my daughter and my other kids have slowly been able to eventually get into the water themselves. How often do we forget that God, this good God, this able God, is the God that is with us? near us. And so no matter what we're going through, the pain, the problems, the persecution, the pressures of life, the enemy wants to separate you so that you forget about that God. And God is saying, no, 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 no. I'm the good God, the trustworthy God, the able God, and I want you to come to me. And as we do that, we start to get our joy back. Question, how much joy do we lose in life simply due to our unawareness of God. Three, third degree of separation is that they doubt God's place. Okay, this is the idea that they start to worship other things. Okay, so verse six says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave to us her husband who was with her, and he ate. Again, the Bible 
sets up this, this sort of proposition that everybody is a worshiper. Worship means to place worth onto something. So everybody in this room, whether you've been a Christian for 20 years, whether you're a brand new Christian, you've just sort of just started following Jesus, or whether you're here and you're not a Christian, the Bible would say we're all worshipers. Everybody is placing worth onto someone or something in order to have an experience with that thing. Does that make sense? And so in the beginning, Adam and Eve created in the image of God, made by God and for God, a worshiping God. But then the serpent is able to get them to go, no, don't go to God for wisdom. Don't go to God for your delight. Go to this. And so they start to look at the tree. Notice it says that she sees that it was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was desired to make one wise. I've never gone to a tree to get wisdom. Have you? Who sits around trees and goes, hmm? We don't. So it's weird, right? But there is a sense of, hey, come to this over here for what you want. Here it is. Come to this thing. And, and for them, it was a tree. For us, it might be money. For us, it might be a house. For us, it might be a relationship. But there are things that we then start to sort of invert and we take what is known as a God thing. We take a good thing and make it a God thing. And so all of a sudden, the thing that brings us joy are good things. But they're not God things, which is why they're fleeting things. See, if I place my joy in my work, I can lose my work. If I place my security and my happiness in a home, I can lose it. Because these are good things, but they're temporal things. And what the Bible wants to say is, hey, what if we were to place our worship, what if we were to place our worth onto an eternal thing? Something that is unchangeable, immovable, it never perishes, is always present. And what happens when we begin to draw away from God? We experience insecurity. We lose our joy because we are made by God and for God. And then we go to these other things to start to fill up that space. And the Bible doesn't want to play down these things. The Bible doesn't say that money is wrong. The Bible doesn't say having a good career is wrong. The Bible doesn't say having a family is wrong. The Bible says they're good things. They're just not God things. And they cannot replace God. And notice, there's a shift in this story where their relationship to one another is now being broken. So in the beginning, they're there, perfect harmony, remember? Right relationship with God, right relationship with each other, right relationship with the creation. But now, instead of encouraging each other and one another and lifting each other up and saying, hey, let's keep following Jesus, let's keep learning about God, let's keep trusting God. Now they're in, like helping each other kind of come down and away from God. So now their relationship is getting strained and they're hurting one another. The creation becomes the thing that makes them happy and brings them satisfaction rather than God. And so the thing that they were supposed to have dominion over and rule over and work to the glory of God, they don't. Now it's the thing that they go to get So the Bible says when we do this, when we, we take good things and invert them and make them God things, they actually lead us to despair because they don't last. 
have a job, have a family, have a marriage, have experiences, but keep them as good things that then point you back to God again and go, look at this experience, look at this water, look at this sunset, look at this house. Aren't we blessed by God? And so we now use these good things to draw us back to God, not another degree of separation away from God. Do you see how subtle this can be? And how much joy do we lose in our life to the fact that we focus on all that we don't have? Again, it's that comparison thing. If, if I have this, when I get that, then I'll be... She's looking to this other thing over here to go, if I, if I come to the tree, if I have this, then I'll feel this. And God's saying, you already have all that. That's already here. You already have wisdom. Why? Because God is all-knowing and is there and present with you. And I'll give you all wisdom. You don't need to go to a tree. Delight. You already have delight. You have, look what you have. You have four rivers. You've got fruit and vegetables and trees. There's nature. There's even, you know, a wife and a husband. There is good things here. And the fourth degree of separation is that once they start to do this, they then start to doubt God's reach. Notice what they do. It says, Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God in the, in, uh, walking in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees. Okay. Degree of separation, degree of separation, degree of separation. In this story, where is joy found? Talk to me. In God, right? And they're walking away from God. They're walking away from God, which is only increasing anxiety in their lives. It's only increasing insecurity in their lives. And then when they realize what's going on, they still don't turn to God. The place where all peace, all comfort, all joy is, they don't come to Him. Why? Because they not only doubt God's goodness, they not only doubt God's ability they not, not only doubt God's worthiness of being the place of worship, but they also doubt His reach. Now they feel ashamed of what they've done. Now they feel like this sense of like we were naked and then we were unashamed and now we're naked and we're filled with shame. And I don't know about you, but before I was a Christian, I was like, God's too busy to want me. God's too good to want someone like me. God's too smart to want someone like me. And maybe you're in this room and you're kind of a little bit on this journey. You're like, I don't know if God wants me. I'm not, I've got a past. I've got a history. I've got issues. I've got problems. Can I just say, welcome to the family. That is all of us. All of us. They don't feel joy because their relationship to God is broken. They don't feel joy because their relationship to one another is broken. They don't feel joy because their relationship to the creation itself is broken. And now they are exposed and they realize we don't know how to give ourselves joy. So we feel shame and we feel just wrong and dirty and God couldn't love us and God couldn't want us. And so another degree of separation comes where they doubt God's reach. Maybe you're in the room and this is how you feel. You feel distant from God. You, you wonder, is God good? 
Is God able? Is he the one who I can put my faith in and my trust in and can kind of give myself to? Like, can I trust that God? And then maybe you're doubting his reach, whether God would love someone like you, whether God would care about someone like you. And so what do we do with this? Well, the story continues to tell us that it's not so much about what we must do, but the story wants to show us what God has done. Okay? Look at the next verse. Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walk in the garden of the cooler day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the garden of the trees. Where is God? Is God away from them? Is God distancing himself from them? The story is God is pursuing them. God is walking after them. God is like coming towards them. That is not the picture I had of God early on in my life. I thought God would want away from me or at least want me away from him. And over time, as I've been walking this journey of following Jesus, I keep finding that no matter how many times I stuff up, God keeps walking towards me. God wants to walk with you and with me in the garden, so to speak. God pursues them. God is wanting them. The Bible is pointing in this part of the story all the way to the point when Jesus would come. When the world is fractured, the world is broken, the world is hurting, the world has got so much destruction going on, and Jesus would leave heaven and come to earth to pursue humanity, to come for us, to pursue us in order to bring us back to God so that we could experience true and lasting joy. But also, look at what he gives them. Verse 9, But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Now just so you know, God's pretty big. He's pretty powerful, kind of knows a lot of things. So Adam, hiding behind this tree, I don't think God's like, Where, has anybody seen him? I don't think God was like, Where Adam, Adam, where are you? Like I was saying to Charlie, uh, Ollie, my dog this morning, Ollie, where are you? Please come home so I can go to work. So God knows where he is, all right? Can we agree with that? So why does he ask him the question? I believe the question is an invitation for Adam and Eve to just simply acknowledge where they really were, to simply go, what are we doing Is what we're doing actually working? Are we joyful? Or are we experiencing shame and guilt? How do we feel? It's an invitation to take stock and asking questions. And this is good, and I encourage you to do it. To ask yourself, where are you relationally in life? Where are you mentally in life? Where are you physically in life? Where are you emotionally in life? And this question is, where are you spiritually in life? It's an invitation to return to God. Often, when I, when I first read this story, I thought this was God judging them. But it's actually, no, God is calling them. God is saying, come, this is an invitation. Where are you, Adam? Have a look. Stop, pause, wait, and ask the question, where are you? 
let me ask you the question. Where are you? What is going on in your world right now, in your space right now, that's causing you anxiety, that's causing you frustration? And can I ask the next question of where are you in relation to the God that made you and the God that you were made for and the God that wants you? Where in your rhythm and the chaos of your life is God? Now, the fact I'm talking to people in a room that are in a church, that's great. Because there's some sense in, in which everybody in this room, even if it was, you know, you're dragged by your wife today, and you're like, all right, I've got to go. Even, if, even at that level, you're still here to better answer the question of where are you? What is your belief about God? And do you believe that the Christian God, the God of the Bible, do you believe He's good? Do you believe He loves you and cares for you? Do you believe He is able? Able to help you with what you're going through right now? Able to help you with the, the issues and the problems in your life? Do you believe that God is able? Do you believe that God is worthy? That He is worthy of your worship to place worth onto Him? Do you believe that He knows you? That He made you? that He designed you to be in His image. And so when you look at yourself, you don't have to doubt who you are and how you've been made because God made you. And God doesn't make mistakes. I make mistakes. My wife makes mistakes. God doesn't make mistakes. There, there are illegitimate parents in the world, so to speak. There are no illegitimate children. And God is not an illegitimate father. The Bible says that He is our good God who loves us, cares for us, and He proved that by sending Jesus to the cross to die for your sin and to rise again to bring you back to God. So there is a way for you to come back and start to experience the eternal joy that can only be found in a relationship with God. So let me ask you this question. Where are you? Will you trust God? Will you turn to Him? This is the Bible uses the word repent. It literally means just to change the way you think in such a way that it turns you away from something and to something. Will you turn to God this morning? Even if you've been a Christian for 20 years, will you turn to God again this morning and say, God, I need you. I've been walking away over here. I've been over here exploring these other things, coming to these trees and like trying to get what I need from life, and I want to turn to you. God, I've been walking away from you. I've been allowing lies to enter my mind where I walk and sort of separate myself from you. I don't want to do that anymore. And I trust that you come and pursue me, and I want to respond. So as the band come up, I'm simply going to pray. And if you're in the room today and you feel that is you, that you feel like you need to turn to God, I just want to encourage you. There are going to be a few people up the front after the service where you can come and people can pray with you. We've got some pastors in the church and leaders who would love to sit with you and talk with you. And if you're a Christian, you can do this. This is not just if you're not a Christian, but if you're not a Christian, 
we'd love you to turn to God and start to experience some of the joy that can be found in an unchanging, unchanging God who is always present with us. Amen? Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, that you have pursued us. And we uh, are not like Adam and Eve in the Bible. Uh, we weren't in some random garden, Lord. We, we've come a long time after them. But God, we have come after Jesus. Where we see that this is you coming to earth, leaving heaven to come down to us, to pursue us, and to help restore us into a right relationship with God the Father. And Lord, many of us in this room, we, we have pressures, we have problems, we have pain in our life, and these things sometimes, God, are affecting the way we think about you, affecting the way we feel about you, and so we, we separate ourselves from you. And God, this morning, we just want to re-acknowledge that you are good, that you have made us, and we have been made for you. And that apart from a relationship with you, God, our souls will always have that sense of emptiness and despair. Without that spiritual sense of being related back to you, we will not experience true, fulfilling, lasting joy. So this morning, God, we pray. And in many ways, we just say in, a, in an act of faith is that we're coming home. And we want to come back to you. And Lord, we thank you that you receive us because of grace. You receive us because of mercy. You receive us because of your love. And we thank you for what you have done in Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.